Good morning, everyone. I'm Mary Negley. I'm a member of this church, and I've been asked to share, before I read the scripture, a brief word on some prayer practice that I use. And so I thought that I would pick the one that I use before bed um, as I'm preparing to go to sleep at night. It's uh, my riff on uh, daily examine, which is an ancient uh, practice of review of the day. It's a devotional practice of prayerful reflection on the events of the day in order to detect God's presence and to discern his direction. So that's how I close my day. And the way to remember the five steps is with the word today, T-O-D-A-Y. T stands for the first step, which is to enter into thanksgiving. Give thanks and show gratitude to God for the day. O stands for opening myself up to God's purposes. Uh, to take a moment to stop and affirm God's sovereignty and his power and his goodness and ask for the light to see what he's doing in my life. D stands for the day's events. Uh, this is a review of what took place in the previous uh, 18 hours or so. And uh, we're looking for signs of God at work, sort of a God hunt, if you will. And then A stands for admitting my own faults and errors and sins through the day as I remember what's taken place. This is the point at which I confess and receive then God's forgiveness. And then Y stands for yearning for God's will. And this is the time for petition for specific needs, uh, gathering courage for tomorrow's challenges, whatever is needed. So uh, if you want more information about this, I have uh, put this up on my website, uh, which you can see the link there, revmary.net, along with some other prayer practices that I regularly use uh, that I thought you would be interested in. So. Uh, now let's turn to today's scripture, which is found in the book of Acts, chapter 16, starting at verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself! We're all here! The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. 
At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. May the Lord bless to us the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. Wow. Um, well, good morning, WCPC. My name is Tommy Branna, and I am one of the pastors uh, here at WCPC, and one of the pastors, as mentioned, my part, who was engaged in that little roundabout of, who has the books this morning? <laughs> we will solve that problem this week. Um, well, it's so great to be with you this morning on this beautiful May day, and we are continuing, as you can see, in our series where we've been all spring in the book of Acts, where we are looking at the role that prayer played in powering the work of the early church. And for our time today, we're going to be living in this amazing passage from Acts chapter 16, where we see a man delivered from death and brought into the family of God. And this passage has so much in it, but it really centers on the moment when this jailer asked Paul and Silas the question, what must I do to be saved? And that question gives us our theme and title for today, which is prayers of salvation. And I'm really so excited to dive into this passage because I think what we see here is just a broad and beautiful picture of God's power for salvation. We see the outworking of his plan to bring healing deliverance, freedom, and grace into a broken and hurting world, and specifically into the life of this desperate man. And we see how he does that through people who have already experienced his saving power. And honestly, I think it is really good for us to be reminded of the scope of God's intentions for the world, the breadth of the power of salvation. Because we live in a time in which the word saved or the idea of salvation can carry a lot of baggage. And it can actually be thought of very differently than the way we find it here in the life of Jesus and in the mission of the early church in Acts. Uh, when I was in high school, there was a movie that came out that was called, funnily enough, accurately enough, Saved. You may have seen this movie. And in this movie, two of the central characters are girls who attend a private Christian high school. One of them is played by Mandy Moore, and she considers herself to be a model Christian. She proudly wears the label saved. And through this movie, we watch her try and bring salvation to the other main character. And she does it by judging her, shaming her, belittling her, and in one of the climactic scenes of the movie, throwing her Bible at her while telling her that she herself is filled with Christ's love. <laughs> and you know what this movie captures, sadly, is the reality that there are many who treat the word or the concept of saved as a badge of honor for the morally worthy or as a perch from which to look down and judge the rest of the world or even as a weapon to wield against others. But let me assure you that the salvation of the New Testament, what we see in this passage, has nothing to do with that kind of salvation. In fact, the people in Jesus' day who took that sort of posture were the ones that Jesus was most frequently in conflict with. He had no patience for them. 
The salvation that Jesus is offering is not a status to be earned. It's not a high horse to ride. It is not a weapon to wield. It's a gift to be received. We learn this through the life and ministry of Jesus when he says, I did not come to call the healthy, but the sick. We see this when Jesus describes his ministry like a shepherd who out of love and concern will track down a lost sheep to bring it back under his watchful eye where it can be cared for and protected. We hear this in Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11 where he says this, and I'll, I'll use the message translation here. Jesus says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. So this is the work of salvation that Jesus is bringing. He has stepped into a broken, hurting world filled with weary and discouraged people, people burdened by guilt and shame. And he is offering healing, hope, restoration, freedom, and forgiveness. And again, that's what we're going to see here in this story in Acts chapter 16. We're going to see a desperate man who has lost all hope, who encounters people who have had their lives changed by Jesus, and his life will also be changed. And at the crux of the story, the sort of hinge point of it, is this astonishing and beautiful act of love and compassion, where Paul and Silas reflect the love that they have received from Jesus to the jailer. So let's talk through this story and see what we can learn together. Well, in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas have been out doing the work that the church has commissioned them to do. If you were with us last week, Bart preached on prayers of commissioning and talked about how the church sets people aside for specific purposes and commissions them into it, and that is exactly what's happening here. The church has discerned this sort of missionary purpose for Paul and Silas and sent them out around the Mediterranean to do the work of God, to share the good news of salvation. And so that's exactly what they've been doing, inviting people to know Jesus and his power. And just a little side note, interestingly enough, as you read through this passage, um, the words we and us are frequently used by the author, which let us know that Luke is actually along for this part of the journey. So he is witnessing all this firsthand. And on their journey, they pass through the city of Philippi, and while they are in Philippi, sort of doing their work, proclaiming the good news of salvation, Paul and Silas get arrested. Uh, we kind of step in in the reading that Mary did for us this morning, right in the middle of that story. And they are arrested because while they had been traveling through the city, they encountered a girl who was enslaved and who had a kind of fortune-telling spirit in her. And her owners, the people who had enslaved her, were using this to make money. They were using her as a fortune teller, making great money from it. And Paul and Silas cast out that demon. They, in the power of Jesus, freed her from that oppression. And for doing this sort of liberating act, Paul and Silas get arrested, beaten, and thrown in jail. 
It's kind of crazy in this scenario that if anyone is going to end up in jail, it's the one who do the liberating and not the ones who had enslaved her, but there's the brokenness of the world, isn't it? So, Paul and Silas are arrested, beaten, put in jail, and this jail guard is given clear, specific instructions. It's actually mentioned several times within the passage. Protect them. Keep them in jail. Do not let them go. So the jailer shackles them, puts them in the maximum security cell, and during the night, Paul and Silas are singing and praying, and there's this earthquake that comes, and the doors of the jail cell fly open, and their chains fall off. Now, if you're Paul and Silas, you've been unjustly arrested, you're thrown in jail, you've been beaten, you have no idea what's ahead, but you realize that your life could be in jeopardy, right? I mean, this is a really serious situation. You spent the night in prayer and song, petitioning God. There is an earthquake that is perfectly calibrated to open jail cell doors and to have your uh, chains fall off. What would you be thinking in this moment? I would be thinking, salvation, we are free. Let's get out of here. The answer to our prayers, it is time to go. Thank you, Jesus. The jailer has got to be assuming the same thing, right? He looks around, he sees, the jail, he sees the doors open, and he says, oh my gosh, all of the prisoners have escaped. They are gone. They are out of here. And this is a catastrophic moment for this jailer. This is a moment of crisis. It means that he has failed in his duties, the clear command that he was given, keep these men in prison. Well, they're gone now. And in that time and in that culture, the penalty for this kind of failure, for failing to keep your, jail, <laughs> your prisoners in jail, would be death. And the honorable thing for him to do would be to take his own life which is exactly what this jailer moves to do. Now, we just put ourselves in Paul and Silas' shoes. Put yourself now for a moment in the jailer's shoes. What does it feel like to be this man in this moment? Think about the world that he's living in. This is what his world has said to him. It says, your value is tied to your performance. His world has said to him, your failure is more significant than your life. His world has said to him, you get no second chances. That is where this man is, facing down these awful, painful truths when something unbelievable happens, something absolutely incredible. He hears the voice of Paul, Paul, who had surely escaped when the doors opened and the chains fall off. Paul, who would have no earthly reason to remain in jail, calls out to him and says, oh, no, 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 do not hurt yourself. Put down your sword. There's no reason for you to take your life. We're all here. We are all still here. The prisoners who should be out on the lamb are sitting happily in our cells. Well, I don't know about happily, but they are sitting in their cells. 
And you can just imagine the relief that this man must have felt. I mean, it has to just wash over him in this moment, this feeling of unimaginable relief. And it's now in this moment that the jailer comes to Paul and Silas and he asks them this crucial question. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And isn't this kind of a little bit ironic, right? Like if you just had heard the setting of this story, there's going to be two guys unjustly put in jail, their lives hang in the balance, and there's going to be a conversation in the middle of the night where somebody asks a question, what must I do to be saved? I mean, who's asking that question? It is definitely the people who are in jail. And yet here we have the jail guard asking the prisoners, what must I do to be saved? And here's the answer he receives. It is plain, it is simple, it is clear. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Trust in Jesus. And the man believes and he is baptized alongside of his family. Well, okay, this is an incredible story, but what is happening here, right? Why is this captured in Scripture? What are we to learn from this? Well, in this story, what we see is Paul and Silas really doing the unimaginable. They, in this moment that the earthquake comes, when they could look at it and see it as an act of God for their salvation, actually come to believe that perhaps it's not for them to be saved from jail, but it is actually for the salvation of the jailer. And so even though they're no longer held captive by chains or doors, they remain moved by their love and compassion for this man. Because Paul and Silas are looking at this jailer through the eyes of Jesus. And they show him the salvation power of God through their willingness to serve him. In this moment, this man has been met by a God who loves him and cares for him. The jailer is met by the one who is the good shepherd who tracks down his lost sheep. He is met by the Savior who doesn't require your life for your mistakes, but who offers his own instead. This man is met by a God who has called him into a loving and caring community, one who, who is going to wipe away his sins and a God who offers him a seat at his table. This man has been invited to experience the power of salvation, and his whole life has changed, as is the life of his family. You know, this series is titled Prayers of Salvation, or this sermon is titled Prayers of Salvation. And the reason it is called Prayers of Salvation and not Beliefs of Salvation is because the thing that this man needs to enter into the salvation moment with God is not just some new information in his head, but it's actually a new relationship. It's an encounter with the risen Jesus. Here we are in Eastertide, right? Jesus is alive. He is the one who calls us, meets us. He is the one who saves us, and it happens when we engage with him, when we meet him. And prayer is the language of engagement with Jesus. It is how we both talk to and hear from God. Well, what does this all mean for us here today? Here at WCPC, year 2022, on May 1st, I want to suggest that this means two things for us. The first thing is that this kind of love, the kind that this man receives, 
this gift of salvation is also offered to us. It is available to us. Is your life a mess? Do you feel lost? Do you feel ashamed? Do you feel weary or worthless? Jesus offers healing, forgiveness, a family, restoration, and a future. And the beauty of this is that this invitation is not tied to anything that you have done or that you can do. It doesn't matter how your career is going or not going. It doesn't matter how successful or unsuccessful you've been as a parent, friend, or spouse. It's not dependent on what kind of relationship you've had with God so far in your life. God loves you, and He is inviting you to be a part of His kingdom, a member of His family. He's offering you salvation, an unmerited free gift. Jesus says, come to me and I will tend your wounds, free you from bondage, and wipe away your guilt and shame. And as we can see from Paul and Silas, who spend this evening and into the next morning in a jail cell, uh, this doesn't mean that this is a place where God removes all obstacles from your life. It doesn't mean that there's no more pain or suffering. It doesn't mean that receiving the gift of salvation means life is easy. But what it does mean is that God will reorient your life in such a way that you can withstand those things because it is now built on something bigger, deeper, and more solid, which is the love of the God who made you. You know, we uh, try our best to say this every week. I don't know if we've said it so far or not, so if I'm the first, let me say this today. It is always our hope that there are people here who are exploring faith, who are wondering if God might have something for them. And I would just want to say, if that's you today, if you are here with us or you're watching online or you're on the patio, and this is resonating with you, maybe for the first time, and you find yourself kind of like this jailer saying, I think I want that. What must I do to be saved? Let me just say clearly that the answer for you is the same as it was for that jailer. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Trust in Jesus. And this is not just a mental exercise. This, again, it's not just some new information in your head. But this is actually an invitation to step into a relationship with the real and risen God of the universe who knows you and loves you who listens when you pray, and who answers back. And so if you are on that journey today, uh, I would really encourage you, grab one of our pastors, grab Bart or me after the service. We would love to talk to you more about that. But here's the second and final thing uh, that I think we learned from this day, what this means for us. And this is a word for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, right, who are sort of on the other side of salvation. What happens once you're there, once once you uh, have been saved? Well, as we can see, salvation does not come to be a merit badge that you get to wear. It is not a platform you've been given to stand on, and you have not been handed a weapon to wield. Instead, you've been given a gift that is to be shared. And this is exactly what we see in Paul. Um, If you've been with us through this Acts series, or if you're familiar with the life of Paul, just think for a moment about who Paul was when we first met him. He was an agent of chaos and pain in the world. Paul was a man who believed in a merit-based society. He was angry, 
He hated the church. And in fact, he persecuted others and murdered people. This was Paul. And then Paul was met by Jesus, and the power of salvation changed his life, and the love of Jesus transformed him. And so what do we have now with Paul? Well, now Paul is the kind of guy who would go to jail in order to rescue an enslaved girl from the oppression of an evil spirit. Paul has become the kind of guy who would stay in jail out of concern for a stranger and an enemy. Paul is the kind of guy who wanted to make sure that everyone knew the love and the power of Jesus. When Paul met the salvation power of Jesus, he was transformed and became an agent of salvation in the world himself. This is the commissioning that you receive when you become a Christian, to let the evidence of the power of God's love shine through you, to become the kind of person who reflects Jesus by loving and caring for the sick the orphan, and the widow, just as Jesus did. This is a life that shows compassion and care, even for our enemies. This is a life that is willing to show grace and mercy to others, to forgive them even as you have been forgiven by Jesus. This is a life that is a friend to the lonely, a comforter to the one who mourns, and one who offers the gift of salvation to others because you yourself have received it from Jesus. You become a person who that love shines through. So I'm gonna pray for us here in just a moment, but here's our brief summary. Do you find yourself today, like this jailer, in need of the love of Jesus and the power of salvation? Well, it is available. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Or are you here today as one who has already trusted in Jesus, who has encountered that power in your life? Then your commission is to live as an agent of salvation to the broken and hurting world around you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you are one who offers us the unmerited gift of salvation, that you give us a love that can transform us, that you meet us wherever we are, whatever is happening in our lives. God, we thank you for the work that you did through Paul. We thank you for the work that you did in this jailer. We thank you for the work that you do in and through us. And we just ask that you would help us to know how to reflect you more and more into this world. Make us agents of salvation for you, Lord. We love you so much. Amen.